Hello and welcome to Active Growth Podcast, episode 36. I have got more bad news for you. And maybe if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, come on, so much bad news all the time. So we have been emphasizing some problems, some problems that you face as an entrepreneur and some problems in the way the online space is developing recently. And this is another one of those. The problem is, or the bad news is that if you are trying to build your business, and you are trying to emulate successful startups, you're trying to emulate the world's most successful businesses, most profitable businesses, the most successful, richest founders, you're doing it wrong. In fact, you are unwittingly shooting yourself in the foot and putting yourself at a huge disadvantage if you try to join the Silicon Valley style startup game. So basically what we're saying is don't be a startup. And that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Because usually that's where all the hype is. That's where all the growth is. That's where all the exciting tech companies are. That's where all the money is being made. And in general, when you seek advice on how to be an effective entrepreneur and how to make this thing happen on how to grow and build your business, you will very often see references to the most successful, most disruptive, most amazing online businesses, right? We're trying to learn our lessons from there. And it is the wrong place to try and learn our lessons. And we'll get into the reasons for this, why. So today we will talk about, first of all, why this is a problem in general. I call this the expert fallacy. We'll talk about why this entire business model that drives most of the growth and most of the hype that we read about is fundamentally broken and why you as an entrepreneur should not follow this advice and should not try to play this game. I will give you the information that will hopefully convince you during this episode that if you join this game, if you follow this advice, that you're actually stacking the cards against yourself and in someone else's favor. And of course, as always, we'll also talk about, well, what should you do? I don't want to just present you with problems and do some doom and gloom stuff. I also want to tell you, okay, what to do? What should you do as an entrepreneur to avoid these traps and to make the right decisions? So all that and more is coming up right now. You can, as always, get more information on this as well as links to resources by going to the show notes, which are at activegrowth.com forward slash 36. So that is activegrowth.com forward slash 36, where you can also go to leave a comment, ask us a question, or just tap on a button to leave a voice message. And when you do, when you leave a, a question or a voice message, then we sometimes answer those on the episode. So all that and more is at activegrowth.com forward slash 36. And with that, Let's get started. All right, let's get into it. My name is Shane Milach. And I'm Matt Totten. And we are talking about why you should not be a startup. So this episode is inspired by a book that you recommended to me, Matt, which is Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus by Douglas Rushkoff. It's a great read, very, really interesting read. So thank you for that recommendation. And no we problem. Will, yeah, we will also link to that, <laughs> of course, in the show notes, along with uh, some other book recommendations. And we'll reference this in just a bit. First, let me pay off what I just uh, teased in the intro, which is the expert fallacy. 
The idea that the best way to learn how to build a successful business is by learning from the most successful businesses, from the most successful founders. So this is what I call the expert fallacy. And let me give you two examples of this, because both of them are wrong. Right? If, if you're thinking, hey, if I want to get fit, if I want to get in better shape, I should get advice from the world's most extreme super athletes, right? from the absolute fittest people on earth. It seems to make sense, right? I mean, they, they must have better advice for me than you know anyone who's less fit than them, basically. And similarly, we think, well, if I want to grow my business, you know, would you rather listen to an interview about entrepreneurship, for example, an, inter- an interview with someone like Larry Page or Jeff Bezos or, you know, an interview with someone who, you know, only, quote unquote, runs a million dollar business. Like, wouldn't it clearly be much better to listen to Jeff Bezos since he has made all of the money? He is like the most successful right now. I don't know if that's still true right this week. But anyway, he's one of the most successful founders of all time. Like he must have more valuable things to say for me to grow my business than anyone who's basically been less successful than him. But there's a problem here, which is that we cannot kind of surgically remove one aspect of someone's advice and like scale it down to fit our needs. So the secret to the, if we, if we take the fitness example again, you know, the, the secret to the craziest, highest performing, most extreme super athlete in the world is that A, he's a genetic freak or she's a genetic freak and has genetic makeup that I don't have. And B, this person's entire life is about being the fittest person, right? This enti- their entire life is about training and eating to optimize their training and sleeping to optimize their training and just doing absolutely everything to optimize their fitness. And the truth is I cannot take a scaled down version of that. I can't just take like 10% of that and then that's a better fitness program for me because it's based off of what the most extreme athlete does right actually the best fitness program for me is one that somehow fits into my life because i am not going to uh you know turn my i'm not going to turn my life into a fitness project and also i don't have that genetic makeup maybe i just cannot take the training volume that this person takes so the idea that i can take kind of that scale it down and then it's the best thing for my purpose is simply wrong. And the same is true for the idea of a business, except it's even worse. Because if you look at the massively successful mega company that has grown over the last decade or so, again, you cannot just take that and kind of scale it down to a solopreneur sized business. And that's still the best advice for you. But also this entire model that the entire model that the most successful businesses in the world are based on have baked in three massive problems that are very rarely mentioned the three problems are this business model is destructive this business model is a gamble in which you sit at the losing end of the table and this business model is insane so let's cover that so when i say that this kind of business model the the growth at all costs business model. This is what we could call it, right? These companies that just grow like an explosion, basically, right? They have explosive growth. And that's what it's all about. It's about growth, 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 growth. And that's what we always hear about. It's rapid growth, right? And it's that somehow then tumbles into insane amounts of money at some point. But it's, as you note, when you read about startups, it's always about how incredibly fast they grow.
So we call this the growth at all costs business model, which is basically how Silicon Valley runs and how the most successful and most talked about businesses run. This business model, like I said, is destructive, it's a gamble, and it's insane. So let's talk about why it's destructive. And Matt, you have a personal experience with this that I'd really like you to tell us about. Yes, yeah, so I'm from the US and my family is actually from the, the mid-continent, like the very center of um, the United States uh, in a, a state called Kansas, which tends to be pretty rural, like farm country, um, like some factory, sort of like production manufacturing, stuff like that, oil and gas. And I used to spend my summers as a kid going to... Uh, to this little town, or basically these two little towns, um, to spend the summer with my grandpa called Coffeyville and in Independence, Kansas. So it doesn't get kind of more rural Kansas than that. And I remember maybe around 2000 or something, Amazon uh, rolled into Coffeyville and built a uh, one of their fr- like initial. Uh, book warehouses when they were still just kind of taking over the book industry and everybody talked about how great it was and like there were more jobs but the thing is those jobs aren't really um they don't pay well and it's it's kind of like walmart i remember in the same towns um walmart came in and built a new walmart and then five years later there was a second walmart built and then you know 10 years after that there's a third walmart and then in the wake of all these Walmarts getting built, you know, you just have an empty, massive building that's a blight on the community. And Walmart doesn't pay its employees. Um, first of all, it never employs them full time, so they never get full time benefits. And then they basically encourage all their workers to go on like social welfare programs. So like food stamp programs and also like uh, Medicaid programs. So where most employers will if they have full-time employees, they're forced to give those benefits to employees in the United States. But Walmart gets around this by only giving their employees part-time work and then externalizing the costs to everyone on like the public tax side of things because those employees have to go on social programs. So, so anyway, fast forward to right now, the the town of Coffeyville, Kansas is basically dying. Like. Um, like all the young people are leaving. There's no more work left. Amazon is left. You know, the Walmart, all except for this one massive Walmart in the region has like stayed open. So, you know, people have to shop there because that's where the cheap prices are. But like the, the end effect is all the wealth or all the, like the value of that community was just sucked up by these massive corporations that um didn't really pump that value back into the community. It just got siphoned off somewhere else in the world. So, you know, these companies grew, but at the expense of um, rural communities. And it's even to the point where in rural Kansas, a lot of hospitals are closing because you had private sector um, healthcare come in and kind of do the same thing and force the public hospitals out. And now you have like private, um, private like uh, urgent care units all over the place. So. And The Intercept actually did a great article on Kansas showing how like the bankrupting of this this happened, uh, bankrupting the state and even like, you know, very important community things like a hospital have suffered because of it. So I thought that was a good example of this growth at all cost. 
that I personally saw. Yeah. So in this in this story that seems much more tied to the real world than the internet, but we'll get to that in a second. There is a first hint at the problem with the growth at all costs model because the way the economics of this works is that you know how can Walmart come in and make everything cheaper? Is yeah because they basically exploit the value that's that's available in an area by doing the things like you said right they don't employ people full time they externalize their costs and they they can make sacrifices because they don't have to be profitable in fact they can afford to be not be profitable for a long time as long as they can kind of hoover up all the value in a, in a region and leave a walmart open for long enough to to for all the smaller businesses to shut down then they can close the close by Walmart and basically face force everyone to go to a slightly further away Walmart. Yeah. And they can basically bridge that gap, right? They can basically say, okay, this, this Walmart here is not profitable, but we can keep it running until the local businesses die. Then we can shut it down. And then everybody's forced to just basically do whatever we want, right? So, and a, a small scale business cannot afford to do that. It's usually also run by people who do who wouldn't want to do that, but we'll get to that later. But that's like that's one of those problems where Walmart can basically say, look, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. These few branches here are not working out, but we're growing. What matters is we're growing, right? And we have a plan. Basically, we know how to hoover up the value here that's in this region. And that's what they can do. Now, online, the same thing happens. If, if anything, to a greater degree even. Basically, every internet giant, every giant internet company is extractive and destructive in one way or another. The, the whole point of the internet, basically, or the whole advantage of internet businesses is that they have this network effect, or most businesses try to create such a network effect for themselves, right? Where basically the value of the network grows with the um, number of users connected to it. Now, we often think of this as something that affects social media website, right? The more people are on a social media thing, the more valuable it is, the more other people want to go there. But it's true for many, many things, right? If you, every, every platform tries to be the one platform that is the one everyone uses, that the one that everything else connects to, because it's the same kind of thing, right? It's, it's a, in a similar kind of network effect where you end up using the most popular solution for something because that's the most integrated, the most used, and the most supported solution. And that way, everything kind of always runs towards a monopoly. And, that, and there's a unique opportunity on the internet to kind of get into a space and have it run towards a, a monopoly with you at the top. The problem is that once investors realize this they can be like okay this is all that matters it doesn't matter how much it costs to become the sole monopoly solution in the end because that is so that's worth so much that we can lose billions on the way there and we'll still be fine and one of the ways by the way in which all of this is massively destructive is something we talked about in episode 26 you can find that by going to activegrowth.com forward slash 26 or just activegrowth.com forward slash attention. We've talked about how these giant internet companies have gotten to the point where they are battling for our attention. They're basically battling for who can get, who can occupy the most of our waking time. One of the things you quoted there is, you know, uh, the Netflix CEO saying that one of their greatest competitors is sleep. So for Netflix, it is better if you sleep less and spend more time on Netflix. 
And it has come to this degree where it's like grotesque, where basically these companies are trying to use any trick they can to essentially get you addicted to the screen and get you addicted to their specific app. And this is one way in which it's destructive. Not only are these companies trying to be the sole competitor of the monopoly in their space, they're also trying to essentially take over your life, right? Because it doesn't really matter whether you end up miserable and sick and with a poor posture because you stare at a phone screen all day. What matters is, can they win in this race? And the commodity happens to be your attention. There's a book called Zero to One by Peter Thiel, who is one of the founders of PayPal. And this is a good read. Interestingly, this book is basically written as, you know, advice for how to do how to do a startup. But what's interesting about it is he lays out this business model. He lays out essentially the truth of this growth at all costs business model, which is that the goal is to to create a monopoly. And there's, there's no two ways about it. The goal is to create a monopoly. Now, it's illegal to have a monopoly. So while you're creating a monopoly, you have to constantly pretend like you're not a monopoly, right? But that's really a small problem to, to have if you're one of the internet giants, right? And so the, the goal is very clearly to create a network effect, to create to get users addicted and to corner and dominate an entire market. And the outcome here is basically zero or one. It is either total domination or nothing, which gets us to the next very important point. Problem number two with this business model is that it's a gamble and you are at the losing end of the table. You see, the growth at all costs business model is not designed for entrepreneurs and founders to win. Let me repeat that. This business model is not made for you as an entrepreneur or a founder to be successful. It is designed for venture capitalists and investors to win. So the way this works is that the venture capitalist has a portfolio or the, or the venture capital company has a portfolio which contains dozens or maybe hundreds of early stage startups. They buy a large enough share of each of these startups to have influence, right, to be able to, to direct uh, or to steer the direction that this startup goes in. And then they push each of these startups to go for exponential growth, right, to go for no matter what, just grow as much as possible. Nothing else matters. That means you are not trying to build a good product. You're not trying to build a profitable product. You're not trying to build a sustainable product. You're not trying to create a good user experience. You're not trying to deliver quality. All you want is exponential growth. And if you've ever wondered why it is that you constantly read about growth and you constantly read about companies that are growing like crazy but but losing money like why is that a thing right why is a company that's growing like crazy and bleeding millions of dollars every month or every week then being evaluated for you know another billion dollar investment round why does this happen it's exactly because of this because profit doesn't matter all that matters is can we get to this market dominating position and then you know when all the competition has gone bust anyway then maybe we can figure out how to make money out of it, right? Because then we can extort all the users who have no other choice. But if that fails, if this goal for reaching this insane domination fails, which it does in 99% of the cases or more, the company goes bust. Now, for the venture capitalist, this doesn't matter because all they need is one or two picks in their portfolio that will just go a thousand X, right? 
they basically, the goal is that you have the next Facebook or the next Google in your portfolio. And you have a hundred other companies in your portfolio that all go bust, it doesn't matter because that one huge win will more than make up for it. So for the venture capitalist, this model works out. But for the entrepreneur and the founder, it does not work out. You're basically a pawn and you're expected to fail. Now, most of the people listening to this podcast, you probably don't have, you're probably not working with venture capital, right? You probably don't have someone who's breathing down your neck and telling you to grow at all costs. But this is one of the reasons why I'm recording this episode. Most of the advice you read about is based on these types of businesses you know, the expert interviews are often interviews with the founders or venture capitalists or whatever who are involved in this business model. And it's this this weird, you know, survivor bias problem where it's like you don't hear about the hundred companies that go bust because this model is broken, right? You don't hear about that. You hear about the one guy who, you know, built a little app and then got a $10 million investment and then turned it into $200 million. And oh my God, how did he do it? Let's learn, right? But this is nonsense. This is you, There's no valuable thing for you to learn there. That is the point I'm trying to make. So that's one of the important things here is like be aware of kind of what model is the, is the advice that you're reading or the interview that you're listening to or the book that you're reading. Like what model does this come from? Because there's this entire massively popular business model online from which I think there's very little value to extract for solopreneurs and small business entrepreneurs like ourselves. Another consequence of all this is that as a result of this whole system, many companies that could have been good, you know, reasonable scale businesses, could have been maybe, you know, a couple million dollars a year business that provides value to some people in a niche, all good, right? That could have happened, but they, they, they die instead because it's not acceptable to have a million dollar business, right? It's, it's only acceptable to either go all in, win completely, become a billion dollar business or to go bust. The middle ground does not work or it's just not what the, the VC is looking for. And so in a sense, you know, instead of doing that, instead of playing that game, you might as well go to the casino and try your luck there. Now, this is where I want to get back to the, the, the book we mentioned. I think, uh, the, so the book is called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus by Douglas Rushkoff. And I think this is a great read. He, he really lays out what this looks like from the inside, what, what a lot of this, this strategy looks like and, and why this is so problematic in greater detail than we can cover here. One of the things that I really took away, um, not just like the companies that go bust, but you know, even the companies that actually, those few companies that are successful, they always have to compromise their values. Their initial starting values, the things that they believed in and like had really honest desire to like save the world or whatever, it's like those those values always got compromised whenever they took VC capital or um, overvalued their business or, um, or if they IPO'd and like in the market overvalued their business and they got all that um, that funding. It's like now we have to change our business model to meet that valuation and grow at all costs. Whereas if they would have just kept bootstrapping it, then they could have stayed a very true to their values, which I think is a really important in this day and age. Exactly, which brings us to problem number three. The growth at all costs model is insane. 
what I mean by that is that if you kind of apply this, if, if you had a person, if you personified this business model, that person would be a clinically insane person. So this is especially true if you consider that with growth at all costs, even profitability is removed from the equation. Even profitability gets goes out of the picture. So in a way, it's insane even by extremely capitalist standards. But let me let me elaborate a bit more on why I think this is insane. Like like you just said, Matt, one of the things is in order to make this work, you have to you have to compromise your standards. And I would go further and say that, you know, basically you have to be evil to do this. And whatever justification you find for doing this, right, for, for having a growth at all costs business, for, for essentially, you know, for example, Uber was in the news a lot because of this, right, because they're basically bullying their competitors, doing all kinds of unethical stuff to grow. Well, but the truth is you have to <laughs> if you want to be the sole dominator of a market and if you want to grow at all costs, you must be evil. You must leave ethics by the wayside because ethics will cost you growth. And really, the thing here that I think is, is from my perspective as an entrepreneur is important is I think about, you know, what does, basically what are the ethical implications of what I'm doing? The growth at all costs business model creates a world in which everyone is worse off. That's, that's the real insanity of this is that everybody's pursuing this business model, but we are all, you know, everybody who's participating in this race is racing towards an endpoint in which everyone is worse off. Because of course, yes, if you're the VC and you make your investments and you have this massive return, you get rich. Okay, great. You, so you've got a bunch of money, but see, even the winners, like the more of the world is become subject to this kind of growth and to this kind of value extraction and so on that we've talked about, the more the world becomes a worse place, even for the winners, even for the super rich, you know, founders and investors of the winning monopolies, because they will live in a shell of a world of which all value has been distracted and will be inhabited by miserable people who hate them and who outnumber them, right? I mean, this is one of the problems that we see with uh, with wealth inequality. I mean, we are getting into a more and more extreme situation where eventually, like, you know, five rich people will own 99% of everything and everybody else is, like, <laughs> is living in squalor and hates them. So it's not great for the five rich people who are left either. And so it this whole business model, like this way of kind of running a business, this way of, of building things up to, you know, and scaling as far as possible, it, it perpetuates the problems that none of us really want in the world, such as wealth inequality and pollution and so on. Now, yeah, Matt, you, you also had a note here about the problem of even what happens afterwards, like even if you do win and now, okay, you you have this domination, you can extract all this value, but then what? Yeah, well, I guess that leads to a couple points. Like um, first, like a, a, a recent article I read by Daniel Rushkoff, he, he got invited to give a sort of future of technology talk. Um, and it turned out it wasn't really a talk so much as a discussion with five really rich super entrepreneurs. 
And they were all talking about, they, they really didn't care what he had brought to talk about. They were trying to ask, so when the world ends and I'm in my safety bunker, like how, and money's no longer useful, how do I get my security guards not to, to like turn on me? <laughs> like, do, do I, do I hold the food somewhere? It's like, you're missing the point, man. Like, why not use your wealth to try and, you know, make it so the, the world doesn't go that way in the first place. So, yeah. And, and he also makes a point about if you've made so much money over the course of your entrepreneurship, like if you've extracted all this wealth and built all this capital to the point where you have to, you know, donate this massive amount back before you die, I think there's something called the giving pledge that Warren Buffett and um, Bill Gates did. It's like you messed up. <laughs> that money should be in the markets, like creating value and innovating. But instead, it's sitting on the sidelines. There's there's this massive pool of global savings in like private equity, and not by normal everyday um, Janes and Joes. It's it's you know just a really a fraction of the world population that has access to it, and that money's just sitting on the side sidelines, and it's. It's not really creating much value for the world and, and being invested in ways that would bring about, you know, green innovations or, you know, advanced education or healthcare. It's just sitting there. And, um, and it, we need to find ways to encourage that money back into uh, investments for the future. And sadly, like the way the system works right now, this growth at all costs, like all that capital is getting sucked up, but it's not getting reinvested. So that's another big issue with the, the growth at all costs models, it appears. So this is this is something that I think everybody can relate to because essentially everybody wants to be rich, right? Everybody would rather be rich than poor. But it's one of those things where, okay, to what degree are you going to, you know, how far are you going to take this? Because at some point, if you're just sitting on billions and billions of dollars, and like you say, they're just sitting there, they're not doing anything. Well, the more that happens, the worse everyone is off, right? Because essentially, you're better off in an economy where money is moving around. You're better off in an economy where there's a lot of people who have spending power and they spend it. And you're better off in a world where money is being spent on things that make the world a better place. But if all the money is just being spent to accumulate more money, you just end up with this static, continually growing pile of money that does absolutely nothing. And, you know, funnily enough, if you think about it, it also does nothing for the people who own that money. Like, what are you doing? If it's just sitting there, <laughs> like the money that's simply sitting there is not doing anything for you, right? It's only the moment you spend it that it does anything useful for you. So that's another way in which this is just insane and where, you know, the, the moment you have so much money that you can never spend it. And like you say, then what you got to do is like, okay, I'm going to make a pledge to give this money away to some charitable purpose or something, which is great. I think it's great that, that you know, billionaires are doing this. But like you say, it would be even better if it didn't get to that. It would be even better if that money was in motion somehow. And yeah, if it wasn't just all a race to accumulate an even larger pile of this stuff at the cost of everything else. Well, and I think there's just a, another point about when when all that money is in, in, say, a billionaire's hands and they do something very philanthropic like donate to a worthy cause, there's also a dark side to that, to that as well because it's they get to make the decision of how that money would best suit the world. And 
there does seem to be, I just recently listened to a, a Malcolm Gladwell revisionist history podcast about this where um, the Nike founder, was it Phil Knight? Um, he donated $400 million to Stanford University for some, you know, very well-meaning leadership scholarship fund that was going to serve 100 Stanford students every year. But it's like $400 million. And I think they were trying to get to $800 million for 100 people. Is that really, you know, how much? And, and Stanford's Stanford's foundation is like 30 billion plus. So the point Malcolm Gladwell was making is like, how much money's enough? And the Stanford the Stanford president actually invited Malcolm Gladwell for an interview, and he's trying to convince him that this was a good use of a donation. And so Malcolm Gladwell said, so if that money went to, say, the University of California education system, that they couldn't use that money better to serve more students in a positive way. And the Stanford president literally sit there and he's like, no, no, no way. Like, we're way better at, at investing this money and making it do good for the world than the UC California or UC education system would would do. And it's it's the top public education system in the United States. So anyway, it just seems like there's a real strong arrogance and there's no thinking about when is enough enough? You know, when is my business big enough where I can just be steady state and maintain and, you know, create value? With that, let's get into the question of, okay, what does all this mean for you as an entrepreneur? What are the takeaways here and what should you do differently knowing this, right? Because as much as I like ranting about the state of the world, I, I do <laughs> want to talk about things here in terms of what does it mean for you and what do you, you know, what's the practical implication of this? And there are many. So let's talk about that. So first of all, like I mentioned before, for me, this kind of thing is important simply to have the awareness, right? You are better off having the awareness of this than not. Because I bet that for many people listening right now, there's kind of a before this podcast and after this podcast point. Before this podcast, you were reading uh, you know, advice about how to grow your business. You were reading books and interviews and so on. And you were just like, okay, yeah, sure. If the if the advice comes from someone who was successful, if the interview is with someone who is super successful, that's good. That's definitely good, right? But after, if I've done my job well, you will always question that. You'll be like, hold on. Should I listen to what Jeff Bezos says about building a business? Should I listen to what Mark Zuckerberg says about entrepreneurship? Is this, is this what I want to do? Because even if you simply divide the world of entrepreneurship into two groups, one is the growth at all costs business and the other group is everything else. And you become critical about where you get your information from and what you aim for based on those two categories, growth at all costs, everything else. Even just that will help you avoid some problems, will help you, you know, avoid the problem of, maybe following advice that sounds like good advice and spending a lot of time and energy going in a direction that you later find out, hold on, this was actually a terrible idea. And like I said in the beginning, I'm basically shooting myself in the foot because I am setting up my business according to ideas and models and advice that comes from businesses that are not made for entrepreneurs and founders to succeed, right? So that's the first thing. That's just the awareness itself, I believe, is useful. But... Another thing is, let's talk about, well, what's the alternative, right? Basically, how do you build a business that avoids the growth at all cost 
mindset. And this is something that I'm, you know, this is a, a topic that is dear to me because I have done this and I did this from day one. So in none of my businesses have I ever taken up any kind of investment or any kind of debt. I, I bootstrapped everything. And in all of my businesses, there has always been an aspect. Basically, I've never built a business purely to extract as much profit as possible. I've never built a business with the goal of just let's make as much money as possible. And many times in my career so far, I, I, had, I had opportunities to make more money, right? I had clear and sometimes very easy opportunities to make more money. But I didn't do that because my business is not simply about growing or about about making as much money or about extracting as much value as possible. Now, this is one of the things, you know, when I talk about uh, building a value-based business, um, I will link to that, to a reference for that in the show notes as well, right? The idea is that the basis of your business is that you create something of value and you exchange it with people for money, right? It's a simple exchange. I have something you want, you have some money, we make a simple exchange, right? The way you build such a value-based business is fundamentally different than the way you build a growth-at-all-costs business. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this because if you want to know that, you simply go to the first episode of this podcast, right? If you listen to our first four or five episodes about basically how to start from zero, you will notice that this, the way we suggest you start a business is very different from what you usually read about. And, you know, one of our things is basically get your customer first, right? Get your, go straight to getting a customer. Don't build an audience first and then try to monetize that audience. Like get paid right away. And if you follow this system, then you can get, you know, you can go from zero to having a couple of people who pay you for something literally within weeks, right? And while that is not, you know, like as it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be a millionaire in weeks, right? It's it's kind of a slow growth, but it is it is profitable from very early on and it is like scalable and growable in a healthy way. So, if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, uh, listen to the episodes about the customer first approach, which is basically episode 1 to 5 or so of this podcast. Beyond that, there's another important thing, which is that your business, you should have a business goal that goes beyond growth and beyond profitability. So you should there should be something that you want your business to do that isn't just make me rich, right? So what you can ask yourself is, what do you want your business to create in the world that doesn't exist yet right now? What, in what way do you want your business to make the world a slightly better place? And any value-based business has an answer to this question, right? Because it's like, what value do I bring to people? And we've talked about this before. This doesn't have to be grandiose, I'm going to save the world kind of value, right? I mean, you know, writing an entertaining book and people buy it and they read it and they are entertained. That is value. It doesn't necessarily make the world a dramatically better place, but that is real value. So that's what I mean when I say, in what way does your business make the world a slightly better place it's even if it's a small amount of value and even if it's not life-changing value it's still you know the world is a better place with one more good book in it that's the kind of thing i mean having this extra reason for your business and you should be very clear about what that reason is right or what those reasons are it's great in many ways it, it keeps you motivated first of all it, it will keep you motivated in a way that just trying to make money doesn't but it also helps you create a clear and strong message 
a manifesto that says, look, this is what our business is about. This is what we stand for. And this is something that helps you, you know, with your business. It helps you kind of connect with people. It helps you kind of connect with the right people and build your little tribe. And it just helps you, you know, create a clear and strong and unique message for your business and your brand. This is something you should definitely do. And you can listen to episode 20 of this podcast to learn how to do it. So episode 20, that is activegrowth.com forward slash 20, is about how to create your business manifesto. And another piece of advice I have here, which is also something that I've experienced, let's say various sides of, is, uh, is to get off the hedonic treadmill. The hedonic treadmill is the thing where you go, okay, I need to buy something in order to feel better. And then you buy it and about five minutes later, you feel just like you did before. And then you go, I need to buy another thing to make me feel happy. Now, it's not only with purchases, but it's basically always chasing, you know, the next thing. Once I have a better car, I'll feel better. Once I have a better relationship, I'll feel better. Once I have a thing, once I have more recognition, more validation, more Instagram followers, whatever. You have some goalposts that are ahead of you where you're like, once I get there, then, uh, then it's good. But once you get there, inevitably, the goalposts move. And entrepreneurship, you know, building a business, just pursuing more money is the perfect hedonic treadmill because the amount of money you want and the amount of money you think you need to be happy is always whatever you have now times five or so, right? doesn't matter how much money you have. It's always, you always need definitely more than you have right now to actually be happy. And this is something, you know, just basically get off of that treadmill, uh, train yourself to get off of that treadmill because and one way to do that is to think about not just not just think about okay I'm starting a business I want to make it make as much money as possible instead think about what kind of a life do I want right what do I want my life to look like and make that part of your goal instead of just I'm working and I'm hustling and I'm trying to just make the you know the breakout millions maybe what's important to you is that you can pursue I don't know look you know a former version of me when I started my business, I really got into entrepreneurship as a thing and I became obsessed with it and, and so on. <laughs> so that's fine, right? For me, that was like my main thing. But also in a, in a slightly alternate history, I can imagine myself starting with entrepreneurship and going, you know what, what I really want to do is I want to work on my martial arts. I want to study martial arts. I want to be able to travel around Asia and train martial arts with people. And I want a business that supports that. So how can I, so how much money do I need for that? I don't know, like $2,000 a month or something, right? Um, let's say 3000 a month so I can save a chunk of money. And so that I would build a business that is, that has as its success criteria, okay, I want to make about $3,000 a month. Plus I want to have uh, location freedom and I want to have this much free time every day to practice my martial arts. And that's a completely different approach than just blindly trying to, you know, create a breakout success. And Spoiler alert, it's way easier, right? It's way easier to do something clearly defined like that. This reminds me of the scene from the original Wall Street movie with Charlie Sheen. I think he's talking to his girlfriend at the time and he's like, I, I just need to make like 20 million and then I'm going to leave all this craziness and buy a motorcycle and ride across China. And it's like, you don't need $20 million to do that, man. <laughs> like... 
little perspective might like make your life, you know, nicer and easier. So. <laughs> So, okay, with that, I also want to, um, we have, we'll link to a post um, by Douglas Rushkoff about 12 steps to create a steady state business. And I want to go into some of those and basically just talk about whatever else comes to mind. So actually, we haven't really mentioned that yet. So the, the idea of a steady state business is another important thing, right? Because essentially, any talk about business that you that you find anywhere in the news or online or whatever, is always about growth, right? And if, if a business is not growing fast enough, it's a disaster. But if you think about it, like why does every business have to grow? You know, what's wrong with, let's say, if, if you think about more like a local business, right? What's wrong with opening a restaurant and, you know, people come to the restaurant and you you make more money than it costs to run the restaurant and that's it. It stays like that. Right? What's wrong with that? Is, why is this not acceptable? Right? Why does next month you have to make twice as much money? It's like, why? So the idea of a steady state business is that kind of business where you're just like, you know what? This business does not need to grow beyond this point. Right? I have, I have this amount of revenue. I have a, a decent, you know, a decent gap between cost and and. Uh, and revenue, so I have, I have a good amount of profit. I can live off of this. I can save something, and I can just keep that. I can just maintain that. The now this might not be, seem as sexy as you know the, the billion dollar business, but the thing is that the more businesses like that exist in the world, the better off everyone is. So it's one of those things that maybe you know if you think about it, like I personally would rather have a billion dollar business than a, than a slightly successful restaurant, right? But I would rather live in a world where I have a small-scale um, steady-state business and everybody else has a small-scale steady-state business too because that's a better place to live in. Douglas has written out these 12 steps to creating such a steady-state business. I want to highlight a couple of those. Uh, the first one is, in all decisions, optimize for the velocity of money over the accumulation of capital. That's, that's a pretty interesting one. Velocity of money, what does that mean? Can you uh, give us some, some info about that, Matt? Yeah, I think um, more or less it's earning a dollar 10 times rather than earning $10 one time. Because if you're earning $1 10 times, that money is getting spent over and over again, which means it's not getting concentrated in one person's hands, but that that value is getting um, used around in the community. So instead of the Walmarts and the Amazons coming into Kansas, like before and 15 years later, 20 years later, the, the town's dead because those big companies sucked up all the movie, all the money and moved on to other pastures. That money's, those you're getting more and more transactions. And it's, it's kind of like you were saying about you have more, steady state small businesses all supporting each other because everybody has spending power instead of one entity that only has the spending power and everybody else has very little ability to support you know multiple businesses so it's better for the community um, and essentially it's better for all the individuals if the money's moving faster in transactions we basically have to be slightly less selfish right and create circumstances that are good for everyone instead of just maximizing our own advantage. And yeah, and I think as an entrepreneur, you have you have a bit more power to do this kind of thing than you have as as a non-entrepreneur, as an employee, for example, right? 
Um, there's some other points here that I think you know tie in really well with the just the idea of a value-based business. Um, one of them is make your customers, suppliers, partners, and even your competitors rich. I think that's a great idea, you know, to think not just how do I make myself rich, but how do I make everyone who's involved, including my suppliers and even my competitors, how do I create circumstances that are good for everyone? I think this is great. Um, for me, this is also very much the value-based business, um, but taken even further, right, where you, you're trying to not only enrich your own life, but enrich the lives of the people that you touch with your business in some way. And very similar to that is the, the idea of running your company like a family business, right? If this was a family business, like you wouldn't exploit your own family members who are working for mm -hmm. you and you wouldn't like just hire and fire them to maximize profit and stuff. It's like, first, this is a family. And secondly, we also have a business. And that's also kind of just a more sane way to think about a business and to run a business for sure. And I'd also add a family business isn't trying to just um, sell to the next round of investors. You know, they're thinking for the long term and they live in the area where they're running their business. So they're going to make decisions um, that are beneficial for the business, but also for the community. Because if you make a short term decision that basically impoverishes people or maybe pollutes the local river, I mean, that's not good for you either. So so that I think that's another piece of that family business idea. And he, he also has a point, you know, where he says your goods and services are your product, not your stock. So you don't build a company to sell it to someone else, but you build it to run it yourself. And that's another thing which I think is just totally insane, the growth at all costs model, where, you know, the entire goal of many businesses is to just basically get saved by Google or Facebook, right? Where it's like we build up this, this business and it's growing super fast and the larger it grows, the, the, the quicker we're losing money. And we're building this thing that is just absolutely losing money like crazy. And what is the business goal here? The goal is that, that either Google or Facebook usually <laughs> uh, look at it and say, we need that and they buy you, right? That's the goal. It's Google basically looks at it and says, look, we have so much money, we can, we can take the hit, but we want these users. So here, here's a billion dollars. Boom, you're out, right? I mean, that's, that's insane. <laughs> and then what do you do? Then what do you do? You know, you've got a billion dollars. And now you can become a, a venture capital investor, of course. <laughs> right, right. That system. Which, you know, which I'm joking about this, but that's what actually happens. That is what actually mm -hmm. happens, right? That's, that's where then the next round of venture capital money comes from. So, yeah, the whole thing is absolutely crazy. And I do think that, you know, another example of this, by the way, is that, so at Thrive Themes, for example, we have a set of external goals and a set of internal goals. And so we have external goals, which is about how we want to provide value to our users and how we want to stand out in the marketplace. And we have internal goals, which is what we want to do in the lives of our employees, right? What do we want it to be like to work for Thrive Themes? What do we want it to mean for your career if you work for Thrive Themes and stuff like that? And that's an example of adding, you know, having goals that just go beyond just growth and profit, right? So that's another thing that I recommend. And what you should do for sure is that you should write this stuff out, right? You should, you should be clear about these goals and we've talked about before about you should be clear about your monetary goals, right? And have a clear idea of how much you want to earn by when and so on, instead of just like, oh, just as much as possible, as soon as possible, right? 
And and similarly, you should be clear about what are my other goals? What value do I want to create? Like, you know, sit down and write this stuff down. It makes a huge difference to get it out of your head and get it clear in front of you. And this is also a document that you should revisit every once in a while while to see, you know, do I still agree with these goals? Am I online um, or on course to reaching these goals and so on? I think it makes a huge, huge difference to, yeah, just be clear about that. Because the problem is that, we default into, well, a business, the point of a business is to make as much money as possible, right? We don't really question that. And we default into following the advice that is based on the growth at all costs business model because it's just the most ubiquitous that you're most likely to come across. So that's why it's important to be very deliberate about kind of changing your mind about this and, and changing course. Sure. So, you know, coming back to the the growth at all costs businesses. Um, I think Douglas Rushkoff kind of calls it scorched earth. <laughs> it leaves like a wake of scorched earth behind it. And you kind of, it just, um, it seems to me it's a really important point, um, kind of especially going into the future with a lot of, um, there's a lot of challenges we face um, in terms of like what the future will look like, but we need to really understand what the total cost of, of any business is. So, so for example, you know, with these big businesses, uh, Amazon comes to mind, they often hire, you know, so you can get cheap prices and, you know, same day shipping, there'll be a whole army of temp workers that Amazon hires um, at, Basically, they put a contract out and a temp agency uh, contractor comes in and bids for that contract and the lowest contract wins. So then, you know, the, the that means there's less money to pay the temp workers with. And then um, essentially you're externalizing those cheap prices and maybe harsh working conditions for the temp workers elsewhere. So now these people don't have less money to spend and eventually it gets to the point where you know if everybody's making less who buys amazon stuff at some point and so um i think this is an the, the whole issue of externalized costs and then kind of creating ex- abstractions where you it's harder and harder to see the direct connections of those costs um it's a short-term gain for growth-based businesses, but in the in the long term, it brings them down because eventually nobody has that ability to spend on their products. So, yeah, it's I think that the main thing for me here is that whenever you see something like this, whenever you see, you know, super cheap prices, um, you see even, you know, stuff that you can use for free and, um, you know, rapid growth, all this kind of stuff, like someone's paying for that someone's the, the, the cost of this is still out in the world but it's being externalized to you know temp workers or to the government and tax payments or to the environment or whatever there's there's always the cost is somewhere right it didn't just magically uh, get cheaper to do this and that's something that is easy to lose sight of and again as a, you know i think as a small business especially as a, as a bootstrapped and small scale business The great thing about this is that we can circumvent most of this stuff, right? Because as a bootstrapped self-owned business, you don't have like this pressure from uh, shareholders and whatnot to have a more profitable quarter and all this nonsense. And, and you can basically avoid many of these problems. You can, you don't have to do many of these things. And also I think that, you know, you can take it a step further and 
you know, be more ethical in your behavior and be, you know, be more of a value add to the world where it's not some kind of a compromise where it's like, okay, my customer gets extra value. They get it for cheaper. They get it faster. But on the other end, there's something horrible happening somewhere else in the world to make this work, right? I think small-scale online entrepreneurship is, is a beautiful opportunity to create things that don't have this this compromise. I can create something for you. Like if you buy Thrive Themes products and you enjoy Thrive Themes products, no one's suffering for that, right? There's there's no dark side that we don't want you to know about where yeah, where we somehow externalizing the costs of of giving you this positive experience. And that's that's one of the reasons why I hope that we can see more small-scale business and we can see more of of the bootstrapping happen. And you know, we mentioned this many times before, but for sure uh, Kevin Kelly's 1000 True Fans I think is is still very true and it's more important than ever to have a culture that goes more in that direction, more more towards small-scale bootstrap privately owned companies instead of just the giants going around and basically wreaking havoc on everything. Can I ask you a question, Shane? Has there ever been a time where um, you felt like you needed to switch from bootstrapping to maybe taking on some debt to continue or face a challenge like that and were able to go around it? Well, for sure. Well, be able to go around it, we've just always opted for slower growth. You know, it's it's very clear to me. I mean, I can see opportunities where I, w- I would know what to do if, you know, if someone came in and said, okay, here's, you know, $50 million to, to dominate the WordPress space, let's say. I have a pretty good idea of how I would do that. I, I have a pretty good, good idea of how I'd spend this money. I have, and of course, like, don't, don't mistake this for arrogance. Like any such venture, right, the chances that I would actually succeed at, like, cornering the market and, and completely dominating and making a return on that investment would be slim, but they're always slim, right? So I'm not saying I could definitely do this. I'm saying if that was the goal, I have an idea of how to do that. And similarly, for sure, if I if I could just pump more money into this and say, okay, you know, let's just pump more money into this, get over the hump. And if we can get to this far side, right, We, we if we just have like a, a much larger team, we can build all this stuff much faster, then we you know we can kind of accumulate this competitive advantage and then we'll make that money back somehow i mean i would immediately know how to do that but I, i'm just not doing it so and that kind of keeps you to the core values of not only creating value for the customer but also amongst the the thrive team yeah absolutely and i mean i yeah i just i don't want to take you know i don't want to take it on any debt i don't want anyone else to be able to make decisions right about yeah because because I have very specific values and things that are important to me and I also th- I always think that as an entrepreneur my job is to create a business that can sustain itself and create a good life for the people working for the business right otherwise it's just not it's just not a good business like your your economic model sucks if you cannot uh, build a business that you know that pays people reasonably well that treats people well and that creates something useful in the world do you um, kind of in the entrepreneurship space, you're seeing. Are, are you seeing this shift, or is it still few and far between with more steady state businesses instead of growth focused? For sure, I see that the, the. I think the influence of you know people like Tim Ferriss and the whole digital nomad movement is, uh, is is good because they're the 
the focus is much more often on smaller scale lifestyle businesses. I do think that ethics are often not in the picture, right? It's often mm. nobody really asks, okay, you know, is this is this really all right? Uh, basically, a lot of lifestyle business people and a lot of digital nomads will jump on an opportunity to, you know, let's do do let's say do Amazon FBA shipping, which is um, something that doesn't add value and that does externalize costs and you know it's probably whatever the, the, the cooking spatula that you're white labeling and selling on amazon yeah. it's probably made in some sweatshop type environment and it's, it's not good for the world in any way but it, a lot of people in the space will jump on an opportunity like that if they feel like it can make them good money uh, which is unfortunate but for sure mm. i see more there where it's just like yeah more people are just like listen i just want to build something to support myself and my family and i want to go surfing and even that alone is better, is like healthier and saner than the, the growth at all costs model. So I think that is a bit of a, let's say, a counter stream, although it's not entirely on, um, on the let's do good for the world side of things. Do you, I know your, your focus is more digital products, um, but say if somebody wanted to create a physical product, but... Um, but maybe they're afraid of the impact something, you know, like a plastic spatula made in a you know, sweatshop. You're like, I don't want any part of that. Is there a path for people with like physical products that that would be more sustainable and not like... Um, yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. You have to... You, I mean, usually there, there are usually suppliers that will do you know whatever uh, environmentally friendly or organic and, and so on and so forth right? you, for most things you will find suppliers or manufacturers who can do that kind of thing the problem is usually just cost so uh, mm. the, the real problem is that you usually have to have a brand that is somehow about being ethical or organic or whatever where people then are willing to pay how much more it costs because it does usually cost a lot more but I would certainly not discourage someone from trying that as long as you keep to the same principles of, you know, keeping things slow, testing out the market first, you know, not going into crazy debt and so on. Um, I would not discourage anyone from trying to do that and saying, listen, I'm going to, yeah, create a physical product um, and I'm going to try and do it right. I also think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, doing uh, basically saying, you know, doing less evil, right? So I think mm -hmm. your, your business doesn't have to be squeaky clean from start to finish, right? If you can say, listen, um, I'm going to create this thing and I'm, I'm going to, you know, treat my employees well and I'm going to do this and that and the other, right? But it's still manufactured under circumstances that are not ideal. Uh, that, that's still fine, right? It's better than, it's, it's better than doing none of those things. Right. So I, I always think that yeah. a little bit of ethics is better than none. So, so don't yeah. let that get in your way, basically. All right. So with that said, let's wrap up this episode. Thank you very much for joining, Matt. And thanks again for the book recommendation. So that was episode 36 of the Active Growth Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Let us know what you think by either tweeting at ActiGrow, A-C-T-I-G-R-O-W. So tweet your questions or comments at ActiGrow or go to activegrowth.com forward slash 36 and leave a comment. There's also a little audio widget there. You can basically just tap a button and record an audio message on your phone or with your computer's microphone. And we sometimes play those questions and answer them on the show. All right, that is all from me. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.